Have you ever been told by God to do something or go somewhere and you knew that this definitely was from God? Maybe it was not an audible voice that you heard, but you knew this is what God wanted you to do. Was it easy to do? Did you do it right away? I think that many times we find ourselves when God calls us to do something that is not that easy to do. And sometimes it can be tough. Because I believe that if it was really easy, we would already be doing it. Well, Abraham is also going through some tough things. God calls him to some tough things. I remember when, right before we were going to come here, and I knew for a fact that God had called us to come to Maryland. I think my husband knew even before I did. It was tough to say, yes, we're going to come, especially because our, both of our families live really close. We lived in Berrien Springs. My parents lived right down the block from us, and his parents lived about three and a half hours. So anytime we wanted to, we could go over for the weekend and spend time with them. And I knew that was not going to happen anymore. And that was the toughest thing for me because I loved going to my parents. I could go there any day I wanted to. They would never say, oh, no, you're not welcome. I could just show up at the door and say, oh, mom, I'm starving. Do you have some food for me? And she would always make something for me. I also loved just finding out what the writing projects were that my dad was working on at that moment because I'm a nerd and I like those types of things. And so I would just help him with whatever it is that I could. I knew I would miss that. And so it was a tough choice. And I know Abraham had a tough choice to make as well. Several, in fact. Well, in the chapter that we're going to study today, in chapter 22, he has one. But in order to do justice to that chapter, we need to really start at the beginning of his story. And so I'm going to take you to Genesis chapter 12. There are two commands that God gives Abram throughout his life. Two very specific commands, you need to go do this. And those commands are written like this. Lech lecha. Two words, and they mean Go. Lech lecha. Go ahead and say it with me. Lech lecha. You can do it. Yes. Lech lecha means just you go. Now, the first one is in Genesis chapter 12. That's why we have to start there. I'm going to start with verse 1. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Lech lecha. Go out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Act 7 appears to suggest that when Abram tells his family that this is what God told me to do, Terah, his father, says, okay, well, you're not going to go by yourself. We are all going to go. And he takes the whole family and they travel. I'm going to show you a map of that region We'll see if this works, maybe just a tiny bit. So right here is where they lived in Ur, where God called Abram to come out. They had to make this journey all the way up here and then all the way down. And they could not go just straight across the desert because it was really difficult to do that. So they went 
right along the Fertile Crescent, right along the Euphrates River. Well, they start their journey from Ur, and it was about 600 miles to Haran, and then it would have been another 500 miles down here to Canaan, which is where Shechem and Jerusalem and Beersheba are, which is where they spent most of their time once he got to Canaan. So they leave Ur, and they go for months. But something happens along the way because they stop in Haran. And no one knows why because we are not told. The Bible doesn't let us know. Perhaps someone started complaining. Are we there yet? Why are we going in the first place? Because Abram heard a voice. Uh, interesting. How come nobody else heard a voice from God? Or perhaps Terah was just tired and weak by this point, and so they stop in Haran, and they stay there. They remain there until Terah dies. And at that point, Abram realizes that, okay, God has still given me this command, and I am going to follow it. I am going to do what God said. And Lot says, all right, I'm coming with you. But Abram had one more brother who was still alive. His name is Nahor. And Nahor says, uh-uh-uh, I am not going. I like this place. I like it right here just the way it is. I like the gods I'm worshiping. I don't really want my life to be uprooted. I'm good. I'm comfortable. It's predictable. I love it here. Why would I go anywhere else? I find it sad that Abraham's family was so seeped into idolatry of the nations around them, especially because, did you know that Noah was alive all the way until Abraham was 58 years old? And Abraham leaves Haran when he's 75. The whole family lived together, oops, right around this area, around Babylon where the Tower of Babel would have happened. Not only Noah was still alive, but obviously his sons were also alive because they were younger. We don't know about two of them, but we definitely know about Shem, who, who Abram comes from. And Shem was still alive when Jacob was born. In fact, he died when Jacob was 50 years old. So all of these people had direct access to someone who experienced the flood, who experienced God doing amazing things. And yet, it is only Abram who goes when God calls. Well, they decided to continue this journey, finally. And God, when he spoke to him, he said, I want you to leave the past behind, but I have something for you. In verse 2, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. God says, I have the best for you. I will make your name great. I will make you famous. You will also be a blessing to others. You will have everything that you need. And on top of that, 
You, I will make you into a great nation, which means that right from the start here, God promises him an offspring because you cannot become a great nation without a child. And so he is given all of these promises about a great future. And he goes. Now I wanted to show you the story of Abram in the structure that it is written in the Bible. Sometimes it is easy to talk about, but we can't really picture and visualize it so we don't get it. So I wanted you to see how this worked. Because the whole story of Abram is written in a chiastic structure. And the chiastic structure, as I've told you before, kind of has a point, and the point, the middle point, is the most important point in the story. But each of these points correspond all along the way, and the structure itself gives us new lessons that we would not see otherwise. So we start with the command, lech lecha, a call to go from Mesopotamia. Right after that, Abram gets to Canaan. Unfortunately though, Canaan is not exactly what he was expecting. He was expecting another beautiful place, right? God said, I will give you an awesome future. But Canaan is arid and dry, not what he wanted. And so he slowly, you can see in the text, keeps moving towards the south. Even though God said, no, this is it. This is right here is where I want you to be. He keeps moving south. And then finally he's like, oh yeah, okay, there's a famine in this land. I gotta go. And he goes to Egypt. When he gets to Egypt, he lies to Pharaoh that his wife is not his wife. And Pharaoh kicks him out, and he goes back to Canaan and sacrifices to God and says, okay, God, I realize now this is where I should be. And the story continues with Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot split up because Lot says, I want this land. And Abraham says, okay, you take the beautiful part. I'll go over here. Right after that, the Mesopotamian kings come, loot the land, and they take Lot with them as a prisoner. And Abram goes and rescues Lot and brings him back. And then we get to the central point of the story, the covenant. And we preached about the covenant, Pastor Chad and I, about a month ago. There were two different parts to that series, so if you haven't heard those, you can look them up on our website where God promises to Abraham that he will be faithful to him, always faithful, even if he isn't. Because that is what God wants us to know, that he is always there for us. And now we start going back through this pyramidal structure. And once again, we have a story about Abraham and Lot. And it is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the story that Pastor Chad will preach about next time. And then when we keep going, he's a foreigner again. He moves down south just a little bit, and he comes into a land of a king whose name is Abimelech. And once again, as if he didn't learn before, the exact same thing happens as with Pharaoh. He lies that his wife is not his wife. At this point, right down there, is when Isaac is born. And now we get to the next Lech Lecha. And by the way, Lech Lecha is only found twice in the whole Bible, and those two times are in the story of Abraham. 
So we know they're important. Let's go to Genesis chapter 22. This is where the next lech lecha occurs. And I will start with verse 1. Now it came to pass, after these things, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. We know from the start that this is a test, because otherwise we would have a really hard time accepting what is going on in this story. Abraham responds with, here I am. And God says, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and lech lecha, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Abraham gets this crazy command from God and he acts right away. It says he rose early in the morning, settled his donkey, took the two young men, took Isaac, split the wood for the burnt offering and left. He leaves as soon as he can, probably also because it would be a little difficult to let your wife know that this is what he had to do. Not really sure how you would say that. Um, Sarah, just so you know, during the night, God told me that I am to kill our son. I'm pretty sure that there's no wife in the world that would just say, okay, Abraham, that sounds so great. You go right ahead and do that. So that's probably why he just goes as fast as he can. These were the toughest three days of his life because he is walking towards Mountain Moriah and it takes time. And the whole time, he cannot stop thinking about what God just told him to do. Did he hear it right? Is that really true, what God just said? Because I know that God doesn't want murder, and he also doesn't really ask for sacrifice to be appeased. So did I understand this right? And he keeps asking questions, and I'm pretty sure he never slept any of those nights because he just kept thinking about what it is that he has to do. He finally decided, as Hebrews 11 tells us, that if God really wanted to do this, and he promised him that he will become a great nation, that he will resurrect Isaac from the dead. But that still didn't make what he had to do that much easier. And he's asking and asking, but getting no answers just silence. Have you ever been there? When all you get is silence? There are times in our walk with God when we ask questions but do not get the answers. The truth is, if we hang out with God, we have to be okay with not always having all the answers. We don't know. And don't get me wrong, there are plenty of answers in the Bible that we can find. But there are things that we don't understand and we will not understand. 
such as, why does someone I love die in a car accident? Or someone I love gets sick or a baby that's born with a disability. How do we explain all of that? We can't because we cannot explain evil. And we try, we try to explain, we try to logically reason out what evil really is and why things are happening, but then we realize we really don't have the answers because there are no answers. There is no logical reason for why evil exists. And then there are times, because of that, that God just says, wait. And we have to be okay with God saying, wait. Now, Abram and Isaac finally walk up this mountain. And as they're walking, I'm sure this was one of the toughest walks up a mountain Abraham ever had to make. And Isaac knows what's going on, that something is up because he can see it in his father's face. Contrary to the pictures that we usually see of Abraham and Isaac, where Isaac is this little boy who's just laid on the altar and doesn't really know what's going on, that is not what the picture is. Isaac, at this point, is about 20 years old. He knows what is going on. He's very aware of the agony that his father is going through. And so now it says in verse seven that Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father. But in English, we miss something that only the Hebrew shows us, that it says that Isaac spoke to his father, but then there are no words. He just opens his mouth, but he doesn't say anything because he doesn't know what to say. And then he finally says, my father. And Abraham responds, says, here I am, my son. Isaac says, look, we have the fire and the wood, but where is the burnt offering? Where is the lamb? And Abraham responds, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. I'm pretty sure that when Abraham responds this, he doesn't even realize how true that statement is. Because literally this statement could be translated as, God will provide himself the lamb. In other words, God will provide himself as the lamb. And that's what this whole story is about. Isaac is asking questions, Abraham is asking questions, they're getting no answers because there really are no answers to give. They don't know. They don't understand yet. But yet Abraham responds in a profound statement because that's exactly what God wanted to do. To show him, as he's been trying to show him throughout his whole life, that he will die for him on the cross, that he is the one who gives, and that he gives himself. Yes, it is about him showing his faith, but most importantly, it is about the lamb. Jesus as the lamb. And then it says they come to the place 
of the sacrifice. Abram is busy again because perhaps all this busyness will keep away the pain. And then he binds Isaac and puts him on the altar. It's shocking over here that Isaac doesn't argue, doesn't complain, doesn't say anything. It shows that he must have known his father. He must have known that his dad would not just do something crazy. And he also must have been close to God himself to just say, okay, God, you got this. And he lays down on the altar. I'm sure that he was scared, but he does it anyways. And then it says in verse 10, And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And at that moment, there comes a voice from heaven. It says, The angel of the Lord, who is God himself, calls to Abraham, says, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, Here I am. And God said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son your only son from me. Abraham was right. God is not the kind of God who requires human sacrifice. But he is the kind of God who asks us to sacrifice our future. You see, in the first Lech Lecha, God said, leave behind your past. Leave it behind because I have something better for you. I have a future for you. I have a son for you. But then when he has the son, God says, okay, now, Lech Lecha, and kill your future on the altar. Lay it on the altar. And amazingly, Abraham gave up both his past and his future. What about you and me? Are we willing to give up our past, to let it go, to put it in God's hands, and also let go of our plans and our future that we hold so tightly Maybe there is something in your past that you know it's there. You need to give up because it keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. Isn't that how it is? It never really leaves us. It always comes back. No matter how much we try to push it off and push it away, it will still be there. And that should be our signal. We need to give it to God. Because God is big enough to handle it. God is big enough to take care of it. Or maybe it's habits or a person in your life that you know you're holding on to. But maybe you have let go of things in, in your past and you're good. Maybe the problem is the future. You have your plans set out and you want them to go a certain way. I know I did. One of the biggest reasons why I didn't really want to come to Maryland is because I had a plan. My plan was to teach at Andrews Academy for one more year, be a Bible teacher, and then go and work on my PhD because, as I told you, I'm a nerd. That was my plan. I had it all figured out. 
But God came and just threw a wrench into all of my plans and said, nah, I have something else for you first. And I believe that he still has that for me because when we give it up, it's not like he takes it. He doesn't need things from us. All that he wants is that we lay it on the altar to show that he is most important and not the things in our lives, not even the people in our lives. The story ends with Abraham turning around and noticing that there is a ram in the bushes. And notice it is not a lamb, it is a ram. Because the lamb is Jesus. He wanted him to know the difference. So he provides a ram and then finally Abraham gets it. And it says in verse 14, Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. God always provides, doesn't he? He knows what we need. Before we even ask, religion is not about what we give to God. It's about what God gives to us. It's about what God has done for us. And so he has everything figured out for us. All we need to do is trust him. Don't hold on to your past. Give it to God. And don't grab on to your future really tightly either. Lay it at the altar. Let God tell you what the future holds because it will be the best. Instead, hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on really tightly to Jesus.